Today's scripture reading is from Exodus 16:2-15. The whole congregation of the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to rain bread from heaven for you, and each day the people shall go out and gather enough for that day. In that way, I will test them, whether they will follow my instructions or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather on other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your complaining against the Lord. For what are we that you complain against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and your fill of bread in the morning, because the Lord has heard the complaining that you utter against him, what are we? Your complaining is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the Israelites, Draw near to the Lord, for he has heard your complaining. And as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the Israelites, they looked toward the wilderness, and the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. The Lord spoke to Moses and said, I have heard the complaining of the Israelites. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you you shall have your fill of bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. And the evening quails come up and cover the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a fine flaky substance, as fine as frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight today. My prayer is that these, thy people, will see less of me and more of thee until they see all of thee and none of me. Amen. The whole host of Israel having been delivered from slavery at the hands of the Egyptians and having followed pillars of clouds and fire to the edge of the Red Sea, having seen Moses lift up his staff over the waves and witness God's mighty power and authority over creation, having walked across dry land, walled in by mountains of liquid, and having counted the bodies of the Egyptians who washed up on the shore after they had been swallowed by an avalanche of water, now find themselves about a month and a half later entering the desert of sin and feeling a little hangry. You see, they begun to run out of supplies. After about 45 days into what will eventually be 40 years of wandering through the desert, the Israelites realized that their coolers were running low. Their travel snacks were not going to be enough. And they were stressed out, tired, scared, uncertain, 
frustrated and hangry. Have you ever been hangry? Yes, no, maybe. Have you ever found yourself in that special place that usually comes around 3.30, 4 o'clock in the afternoon? You're tired after a long day of work. You're hungry for dinner, but you know that that last hour of the day will take forever. And then you got to drive all the way home. And then you got to make dinner before you can eat it. And you know that if your spouse, your kids, your boss, or anyone else even breathes in your direction, you're just going to lose it. Well, you're just not you when you're hangry. As a helpful visual for this, perhaps you remember this Super Bowl commercial from a few years ago. You're just not you when you're hungry. And if that's not enough to convince you, there's a whole uh, science around this phenomenon as well. The carbohydrates, proteins, and fats in everything you eat are digested into glucose or simple sugars, amino acids, and other nonsense that goes on in your body. These nutrients pass into your bloodstream and are distributed to your organs and tissues and are used for energy. As time passes after your last meal, the amount of these nutrients circulating in your bloodstream starts to drop. Now, if your blood glucose levels fall far enough, your brain will perceive it as a life-threatening situation. You have probably noticed your dependence on your brain from time to time uh, in this situation because even simple things become difficult tasks. You might, for instance, find it hard to concentrate, or you're making silly mistakes. You might have noticed that your words become muddled or slurred. Another thing that can become difficult when you're hungry is behaving within socially acceptable norms, such as snapping at people. So while you may be able to conjure up enough brain power to avoid being grumpy with some people, you tend to let your guard down and inadvertently snap at the people you are most relaxed with or care about, such as your partners, your friends, or the Lord God Almighty. When blood glucose levels drop to a certain threshold, your brain also sends instructions to other glands and organs in your body to synthesize and release hormones that increase the glucose in your bloodstream. In fact, adrenaline is one of those hormones, and it can initiate the fight or flight response that accompanies a sudden scare, and you even think or hear something that might threaten your security and safety. Now, I've been hangry before. My wife will attest to that. But if I were to have experienced and endured the incomprehensible trauma of slavery, the many plagues that were visited upon Egypt, and then packed up my whole life and family to follow some dude with a stick out into a desert for some as yet undetermined amount of time, yeah, I would most likely be an absolute physical, emotional, psychological, and hangry wreck. So I can identify with the people who were complaining. I can even understand their frustration with Moses and Aaron, 
I can understand how they distrusted their leaders, that they misdirected their anger towards tangible earthly servants. The Israelites had forgotten that if God will bring you to it, God will also see you through it. And so they complained. Let me step back for a minute and say this too. When we look at scripture like this, it is easy to only look through the omniscient window of the Bible's literary and compositional form. We know how the story turns out. It is because we know what happens that it becomes easy to judge the Israelites' lack of faith. We know that God will and does provide, and that makes reading through these passages kind of trite unless we are willing to put ourselves into the story and into the roles of those who are suffering. These men and women, their pain must be our pain. Their joys must be our joys. And if we fail to connect to their feelings, emotions, wants, and desires, then we miss out on a great opportunity to also experience God's redeeming and profound love and power. So as I said, I too would have probably joined them in their laments and critiques. I guess I could even say that I don't just think I would join them, but I know I would because I have sung those songs before. I have cried out at both God and humans in frustration, disappointment, and yes, even hanger. Have you? Have you ever stepped out in faith only to be met with an even greater challenge? How many of us, like the Israelites, have waded through a sea of water only to find ourselves now surrounded by an ocean of sand? Have you ever thought the grass was greener on the other side? That if I can just make it to payday, things will be better. If I can just get through this one job, this one argument, this one Thing, things will be better. Things will be easier. And if they aren't, well, then somebody's going to get it. Because that's not my fault. Without question, the Israelites knew what God could do. They had witnessed firsthand the power and glory of our Creator. But like every other human before them and every other human after them, save for one, in the perceived immediacy of this moment, and given the physical and mental pain, the very real pain that they were feeling, they lashed out with blame and anger because they were uncertain of what God would do. They knew what God could do, but not what God would do. And here's what they said. They said, if only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. Those are some harsh words, y'all. So magnified was the pain of the Israelites that they wished to be taken back into slavery. And they wished that they too had died in one of the many plagues. The hand of the Lord. They were so afraid of the unknown and uncertain future. 
that they coveted their former chains over their future freedom and were certain that their lives were now lost and they would surely starve to death. But God knows what's up. God has not, does not, and will not abandon those who cry out in pain and fear and hunger. Hear now again the words of the Lord. This is the same voice that called the sun into being, that pulled dry land up from the depths. This is the same breath that breathed life into all of creation. It speaks again and says, I will make it rain food. Only from above will you find your sustenance. From the table of God will you now be served with the bread of heaven, and it will fall like rain, covering every blade of grass, every stone, pebble, and bush. The entire host of Israel will feast on God's glory, and those who gathered much had nothing over, and those who gathered little had no shortage as they gathered as much as each of them needed. This was their daily bread. Let me go back and clarify this also. Back in verse 2, it said, The whole congregation of Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron. These weren't a few dissatisfied customers asking to speak to the manager. This was the vast majority of the entire crew discussing mutiny. The captains and first mate of this expedition had offered what the people thought to be only a three-hour tour. But now they are counting on being killed in the wilderness. Not just stranded or needing redirection, but at the first appearance of a disaster, they jumped to the worst-case scenario. Bible commentator Matthew Henry states that it argues a great distrust of God and of God's power and goodness. In every distressing and appearance of danger, to despair of your life and to talk of nothing but being speedily killed, God in response could have and might have justly said, I will make it rain fire and brimstone upon these murmurers. I will consume them. But quite the contrary. God promises to rain bread upon them. When the path that lies before us looks too difficult, too steep, too hard, fraught with conflict, danger, and darkness, when we pass through water only to find sand, when our bodies and souls ache from hunger, and when out of our frustration, anger, and fear, we lash out at each other and at God, God hears us. God hears us and loves us through it. When we think that our parents, our bosses, our leaders, or even our children don't hear us, God hears us and bears it. God gives us the good things of this life, not only because we need it, but so that we may delight in it. That we may not only serve God, but serve God cheerfully. The love that God has for each and every one of us is an everlasting love. It is a love that reaches out from across the cosmos to claim us as we are in our brokenness, in our messiness. 
A love that embraces us through our fear and our malice. And yes, even our anger. God's love is eternal. It is patient. It is kind. God's love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing. But God's love rejoices in the truth. God's love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. God's love is a stubborn love. And it has to be. Because God deals with stubborn people. The Israelites, it says here later on, in the evening quails came up and covered the camp. And in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. And when the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a fine flaky substance as fine as frost on the ground. And when the Israelites saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. When the glory and goodness of God is made manifest and tangible in our world, it is at first unrecognizable. It is new. It is different. We are unsure and uncertain. We are not used to this kind of love coming into direct contact with our lives. But God's love is an enduring and stubborn love. It is a love that comes to earth, that nourishes us and provides us with sustenance and life. A love that stays with us through our wandering in the desert, provides for us in the evening and in the morning. It is enough to get us through each and every day, and there is more than enough for everyone. Have you guys ever heard of George Matheson? George Matheson was only a teenager when he learned that his poor eyesight was deteriorating further. Not to be denied, he continued straight away with his plans to go to college and enrolled at Glasgow University and through determination led uh, to his graduating at age 19. But as he pursued graduate studies for Christian ministry, he became totally blind. His sisters joined the ranks beside him, learning Greek and Hebrew to assist him in his studies, and he pressed on faithfully through the water. His spirit collapsed, however, when his fiancée, unwilling to be married to a blind man, broke off their engagement and returned his ring. George never married, and the pain of that rejection never totally left him. Years later, his sister came to him announcing her engagement, and he rejoiced with her, but his mind went back to his own heartache, to his own desert. And he consoled himself in thinking of God's love, which is never limited, never conditional, never withdrawn, and never uncertain. And out of this experience, it is said that he wrote this hymn. O oh, love that wilt not let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee. 
I give thee back the life I owe, that in thine ocean depths its flow may richer, fuller be. O joy that seekest me through pain, I cannot close my heart to thee. I trace the rainbow through the rain and feel the promise is not vain. That morn shall tear us be. Amen.